0: Uh, My name's R.D. Again, I'm one of the pastors here on uh, on staff, and it's great to uh, be with you. If you have a Bible, uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be on the screen, so you'll be covered either way. But there's no way to avoid the text this morning. No way to avoid it. So Genesis chapter uh, 15, we're in a series called Unexpected, looking at the life of Abram, who becomes Abraham, and we're calling it the journey of faith, because it is a messy, crazy, wild journey. Uh, which is another way to say it's a faith journey, because that's what faith is. It's messy. It's wild. It's crazy, and it's all those things. And so we've been looking at the life of Abram, and we are coming to um, a part of the scripture which Genesis 15 is truly wild and crazy. It's one of the just craziest encounters between God and a human being in the entire Old. Old Testament. And uh, it's really, really an important encounter too. Genesis 15, which we'll be talking about this morning, is one of the most important passages in the entire Old Testament uh, because it lays the foundation for the covenant that God makes between himself and Abram and how that covenant then goes throughout the entirety of the narrative of the Bible, even up to the present day today. And so we're going to see the beginning of that covenant and what it means for uh, God, for Abram, and also for us as the people of God as well. so Abram, to catch you up, was basically a guy, a dude who worshiped the stars. And God said, you seem perfect. So I'm going to take you, and I'm going to use you, and through you, everyone is going to be blessed. And that's what God did. He takes the most unlikely people, and he says, I want you to uh, work through me that my glory would come through you. Which is great news for us, because all of us are the most unlikely people that God would use. Right? All of us are. And yet God says, that's exactly the people I want to use. That's the people I want to use. And Abram is just a man. He's just like us. Yet God uses him in mighty ways. And so he takes him from worshiping stars, and he takes him on this amazing journey where he's going to grow his faith. And yet at the heart of it, Abram still remains someone who's filled with doubt. He's filled with anxiety. He's filled with worry. Yet God is still gracious to him. And one of the encounters by which Abram's doubts and God's assurance come into this beautiful collision is here in Genesis chapter 15. And so the three points of the message, uh, number one is the nature of faith. What's the nature of faith? Um, Secondly, the nature of the covenant. So we're gonna look at a covenant uh, that God makes between himself and between Abram. So what's the nature of that? What's it like? Why does it matter? Who cares about covenants? Uh, And number three, uh, what's the nature of the gospel? What does the gospel have to do with what happens in Genesis 15? So we're gonna look at faith, we're gonna look at covenant, and we're gonna look at gospel. The first thing we're going to do is read through the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 15, which is going to look at the nature of the nature of faith, Abram and God. Verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, "Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus?" And Abram said, "You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir." Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, God took Abram outside, and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Verse 8, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Number one, the nature of faith, dot, dot, dot. It's messy. That's the big idea. It's messy. It's re- and we know it's messy. Though in church sometimes we try and pretend like it's not, but it is. Real faith is real messy. And we have an example of it from Abram here. So um, what happens here is in the, the previous chapter that Mark talked about, uh, Abram rescued Lot because these kings were after them and there's you know, wars and battles and all these things happening and God just wins the day there and Abram is safe but still he's thinking well I'm just one day away from another king coming to destroy me and so naturally he has fear though God has promised him things he's still thinking well people like today could be the day where someone else comes and just wants to knock me off and take everything that I have and so we know that Abram is afraid because the first thing that God says to him is what do not be afraid which means that he was afraid. And so when Abram, in his fear, in his anxiety, in his worry, in just his sheer humanity, God comes to him and he says three things to him. The first thing he says is he gives, he gives Abram a command. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's the most common command in the whole Bible. There are a lot of commands in the Bible. The most common one is do not be afraid. Why? Because we get afraid. <laughs> That's the answer. Because life is scary. Things are dark. Things are hard. And we, we get afraid of things in our life. And God says again and again, he says, do not be afraid. It's the most common command in the Bible. In fact, do you know how many times that command is in the Bible? 365. Now, friends, class, how many days are in the year? 365. Some of you are saying, well, what about leap year? 366. Okay. You know what? Please, please. You can find another one in there. Now, in God's great plan, for every single day of the year. Just like Lamentations 3, there's new mercy every morning for us. Every single day there's new mercy and there's a command from God to not be afraid. To not be afraid. And why does God say that? Why does God say not to be afraid? Because he says something else. He says not not only does he say don't be afraid, he says I am your shield. I am your shield. Now why can he not be afraid? Because God is his shield. And so all the commands of God flow out of the character of God. That's who God is. He's strong. He's protector. He's mighty. He's mighty. And so out of who he is, he says, do not be afraid. It would be one thing if God just said, don't be afraid, but he was weenie. And Abram would be like, well, I'm, that's great you said that, but I really have no confidence in you. No, God says, you don't have to be afraid because I am your shield. I'm your protector. That's my character. And so he reminds Abram of his character, which is good because we need God to remind us of, our, of his character because we forget. We get amnesia. We forget, Right. And the third thing he says is he makes them a promise. So he gives them a command, he reminds them of his character, and the third thing he does is he makes them a promise. He says, your reward is going to be very great, which is a better translation of verse, uh, the last part of verse one. The actual translation reads, I shall be your very great reward, which is true. Ultimately, God is our true reward. But what it's really saying in the Hebrew is that God is saying, your reward is going to be very great. And the reward for Abram is this, its land and its children. That's the promise of blessing that God has given to Abram. One day you have all this land, and one day you will have all of these children. God says, I promise this is going to happen. And we know that that's what God is saying in that last part there, because the first thing that Abram says in verse 2 is, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Your greatness, God. Your greatness, God. This reward, and Abram's first question is, what are you going to give me? I want to see it. You keep telling me. Where is it? I'm old. I have doubts, everyone around me, how all these kings have their own land. I'm just a guy with my wife and some camels, so I need more, <laughs> because that's faith, it's messy. Abram is just, he's just so, he's so honest. I love what he says, he says, Sovereign Lord, just to remind, just to remind you of my situation, my predicament. Uh, uh, it's difficult to have descendants when you have no children. Right? As if God doesn't know. But we all pray like that, don't we? I pray like that sometimes just to remind God, like, God, this is what's happening in my life, just so you know. But yet God wants that. He, wa- he cares about the details of your life. He wants you to pray. He wants you to ask him about it. Better that than not. God's never too busy for, for us, for you. And so I love Abram. He just says, Sovereign Lord, help me, please help me. I don't have any heirs, so this could be difficult. Now, when Abram questions God, God says, don't be afraid, all these things, and then Abram says, but, but, but. Now, what could God say? He could say, how dare you question me, you little ant. Right, how, How are you kidding me right now? Look at all I've given to you. No one questions me, no one questions God. Does God react like that? No. That's right. Get up here. I'm tired anyway. No, he doesn't. God never responds like that. He responds gently, though he has every right to respond like that because he's God. Right? He could say, you know, I gave you one chance, so you know what, Abram? Forget it. No, he responds gently. Look in verse 4. He says, the word of the Lord came to him again, which is amazing. It's grace that God even comes to him again. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you can. Then he said, show to your offspring breed. So he gives them this sign, this tangible sign. Don't we often want tangible signs from God? God, help me see something. And so he says, okay, you know what? You're in a tent right now, so you can't see the stars. So let me take your hand and let me get you outside the tent and look about the stars. Now, there weren't any big cities back there. There weren't any skyscrapers. So you know when you're in the wilderness and you look up into the sky, how many stars do you see? Because like I never knew there were this many stars in the sky. But these just like come into existence. God says, Abraham, it's time you get some perspective in your life. Look at all of these stars. Can you even count this many stars? And this is just such a small fraction of them. So shall your offspring be. Isn't it wonderful of God that he doesn't say, just trust me or don't question me. He says, I'm gonna give you a sign. Look at the stars, count them. Can you count them? I don't even think you can count them. There's so many and I made them. So shall your offspring be. Isn't that gentle of God? Isn't that gracious of God? He invites your doubts. He invites your questions. He can handle them. He's big enough. I love that, Abram. It's messy. Faith is messy. Questions. God gives answers. We have more questions. God gives answers. We have more questions. That's okay. God will never run out of giving us answers. Well, he shows them the stars, and verse 6 is a famous verse here, if you're familiar with this story at all, or even just the Bible a little bit. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him his righteousness. So that's just that salvation by faith, it's grace there by faith, that Abram believed the Lord, and God says, that is it, it's belief in me. Now you've been made righteous. And yet, even then, right, God is going to do one further, and so he says, hey, your children are going to be as numerous as the stars, but I know there's something else you're worried about, you're worried about where you're going to live, what land you're going to be in, Verse seven, God says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans, which is where he lived. I gave you this land to take possession of it. So he says, even before Abram can even voice that, God says, I know you're worried about that too. Don't worry about it. I'm going to give you a land you couldn't even imagine forever and ever and ever. And so you're, you're thinking at that point, it'd be like, okay, he believed the Lord. God's giving him these signs. God is speaking to him audibly. You think that might be enough? And yet what does Abram say? but, (laughs) verse 8, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? He means the land. So even after all of that, Abram still says, but, but, hey, whoa, one sec, one sec. How how can I know? It's It's just me. I'm just, I used to worship stars. Why are you doing this for me? How can I be sure? We all want certainty, don't we? We all want assurance, None of us can just live our lives not knowing, just being filled with doubt all the time. That's not a way to live. It's not a tenable way to live. And so he comes back and he says, Lord, help me. I believe, help my unbelief. Which is the best really any of us can ever do. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because oftentimes in our life, there's a massive gap between God's promises and our experience. Between what God has said he will do and in our life day and day what God is doing. Right, And it's how you fill in the gap which determines the level of your faith. Where you are with the Lord. Abram, he wanted a sign. He had a huge gap. Talk about a gap. He's old. He's childless. He has no land. God says, don't worry about it. It's coming. Day after day. Day after day after day. Year after year after year. Faith is messy. Faith is messy. You know why it's messy? Because it's between humans and God. And neither one of whom are robots. It's messy. It's real, which is what I love about it. And so sometimes in church, it just has to be clean. You've got everything buttoned down. This is it. This is what God says. You have to believe this, X, Y, Z. Here are the 10 things to do, though there are 10 commandments, right? But it's like it's broader than that. There's, there's tension. There's fog. Oftentimes, being a Christian, is like living in a fog. And you, you know there's a city over there. You saw it the day before. But then there comes this fog, and it's gone. And you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. Because you believe God and He's giving you signs. And so Abram says, He says, Okay, thanks for the stars, God. <laughs> That's helpful. I need another sign. And oh, baby, <laughs> is God going to give him a wild sign? <laughs> this is just a crazy piece of scripture here. It's amazing. So God says, Okay, how, do you, you want to know how you can trust me? Here's how. Verse 9 So the Lord said to him, Bring me a goat and a ram. Each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants, the people of Israel, will be strangers in the country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. It's Egypt. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Verse 17. Here is... Uh, the big deal. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Termites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigasites, the Jev, all the, all the I, everybody. Basically, that's just everybody. everybody. It's everybody. Okay, is that clear? (laughs) Is that a crazy passage? What are we doing here? Point number two, the nature of the covenant. The nature of the covenant. So the nature of faith, it's messy. What we have here is a covenant ceremony that happens between God and between Abram, where God says, here's how you're going to know I always keep my promises. Now, in our time, we don't make covenants like this, do we? I hope not. (laughs) I hope in our time, what do we do? We live in a written culture, so we sign things. Right? Whenever we marry people here, we have to sign a piece of paper, but not just any piece of paper. You can't just sign a random notepad. That's not helpful. You have to sign actually a wedding license, and it has to go to the county clerk in Dane County, wherever you get married. Why? That makes it legal, that makes it official. You're saying, I am not just saying on my wedding day, I promise with my words. I'm actually putting my name on a piece of paper. I'm legally now bound to you. That's a covenant. It's a legal covenant. Right? We, we are in the process of getting a house, selling a house, and so we're signing our life away, basically. We're signing everything, right? Because it's not, what if I just said to, the, to our you know, uh, mortgage broker, you know what, just, just take my word. Just, you know, in fact, you know, forget me signing something, just bring me a goat. Just, just bring me a goat, right? Can you imagine? Just, just, we're gonna do this old school, right, BC style. That's what we're gonna do up in here, no. No, in our culture, right, in order for you to say uh, you are going to keep your word, you have to sign something. Because then what? There are consequences if you break it, right? If you break your wedding vows, there's consequences. Right, if you break a contract, there are consequences. <laughs> if it's just verbal, there are not consequences, except for maybe just, you know, personally, but not legally. And so in the first century, or even this is not the first century, even before, right, fourth, fifth, sixth century BC, there, it wasn't a written culture. So how did you make covenant? How did you make promises with people? They still did it. Well, this is what you did. Now, this is taken it up a couple notches. <laughs> so what, ha- what would happen is you'd have two people who'd make a covenant with each other. Say they both want to share land together or there's some ceremony going on. You have two, two people who come together. And what they would both do in this time, very common, they'd get some animals and they would cut them in two which is already just intense. And then they both, they both, one at a time, would walk through the bloody pieces of the animal. You know what they were saying? They were saying, if I do not fulfill my vow, then what happened to these animals, would it happen to me? Do you think you would keep that promise? (laughs) Do you think that would be like, I think I'm gonna do this because I'm walking through on this, this dirt and I'm seeing animals on my left and right, I'm gonna keep this. Whatever we're vowing to today, I am going to do. And so it was a serious way by which people went into covenant with each other and say, my word is actually my bond. It's everything, right? It's everything. Good. Yes, thank you. It's, it's everything. That's how serious it is. And so Abram, he's probably been around a lot of these. And yet this was far different from anyone he'd ever been a part of. Far, far different. Because what happens here? It says in the text that, a, that a, a darkness covered the whole land. A deep and dreadful darkness filled Abram. In the Hebrew, it means a terror. He was filled with terror. He was filled with fear. Why? Because the presence of God was about to be two feet from him. What does it say? So in a, in a normal ceremony, what you'd have, you have two people who walk through the pieces. What do you have here in verse 17? Here's the ceremony. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot, basically what that means a smoke, with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, that the smoke and the fire are really just words that mean God himself. God himself came down and walked between the pieces. Now, what does that mean? Abram is no doubt thinking when he wakes up and he sees the pieces and he sees the smoke and the fire, right, perhaps he thinks, okay, that's God's presence. I'm gonna try and just have that, right, he's gonna try and keep it together. And then what he's probably thinking is, okay, What I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to walk between the pieces. Because in order for me to get the land, in order for me to get the children, I'm going to have to obey. I'm going to have to do, if I want to get the blessings of God in my life, then I have got to walk through these pieces. And I've got to do it just right. And God's right there looking at me. So I'd better walk through confidently. But what happens? Does Abraham have to walk through the pieces? No. Who walks through the pieces? God. Who doesn't ever have to walk through the pieces? Abram, now what is that saying? God is saying, Abram, here is how you can, just like he showed them the stars earlier, here's how you can know you're gonna have descendants, you're gonna have land, you're gonna have blessing. Here's how you can know ultimately you can always trust me because if I don't keep my word to you, then what happened to these animals, would it happen to me? Would I be cursed? Would I be cut off like this? Abraham is thinking, you, God, Let me walk through it. Why are you walking through it? It's my job to walk through the pieces. How, in what world are you walking through these pieces for me? Yet God does it. And he never says to Abram, you have to walk through the pieces. Why? Because God knows you can't walk through the pieces. You can't do it. Is Abram going to fulfill his side of the covenant? Is he going to always obey as he should and follow as he should and submit as he should? No. And so God is saying, Abram, you cannot fulfill this covenant. And so even though you can't fulfill it, I'm going to fulfill it. Even though you're going to fail in your side of the covenant, I am still going to be true to my word. And I'm still going to bless the nations through you. I'm still going to do it. Because my promise lives forever. Isn't that amazing? Here we have God's promise of salvation. of hope. That's what the covenant is. Through this covenant, God's salvation is going to come to the people of Israel and through them to the Gentiles, which is all of us. And it's a covenant built on a promise, not on our performance. And that's why the nature of the covenant is costly. It costs us nothing. It costs God everything. His oath here, it cost him everything. Now, Abram may be thinking we may be thinking, generations later may be thinking, okay, if the people of Israel, if you and I, if we can't keep the law, if we can't keep the rules, then how on earth can a holy God still fulfill his promises to people who are filled with sin? How can he do that? How can he keep his covenant so that sinners find salvation? Here's how. Thousands of years later, there was another day and there was another man on a mountain. And on that day, there was another darkness that covered the whole world. Mark 15, 33 says that between the hours of noon and 3 p.m. on Good Friday, a darkness covered the land of Israel. There was a man who was coming who was not just gonna walk through the pieces, but who was gonna be torn to pieces. To truly say, this is how you can know God keeps his promises. I'm not just going to tell you, I'm going to show you. And that's point number three, the nature of the gospel. It's our true anchor. It's unmerited favor. It's grace. See, Genesis 15 is a passage that says grace, 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 grace. A lot of times people read the Old Testament and they think, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And then when we get Jesus, we get grace. No, God has always been filled with grace from eternity past to eternity future. All of his covenants are filled with grace. Now, how does Jesus Christ fulfill the covenant so that you and I can stand before God and inherit all the blessings of God? Here's how. Galatians 3 puts it this way. Really, um, Paul's talking about this passage, Genesis 15. This is what Paul says about what Christ does for us. Galatians three thirteen through 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us, He bought us back in order that the blessing given to Abraham, what happens in this part, might come to the Gentiles, that's you, that's me, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The promise to you and I is not children, is not land. It's the spirit of God living inside of us. It's better than children. It's better than land. How do you know? Right. How, how can you know? And God says, this is how, you know, Jesus Christ, he hung on a pole for you. He was torn to pieces for you. Right. He was cut off for you so that you don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder, is God for me? Does God love me? Is God pleased with me? You can look to the cross and in between um, your experience of what of, of your life and between what God has said he was doing in that massive gap there. What you can put in between the gap is the cross. And so, you know what? I still have doubts. I still wonder. I'm still filled with all this anxiety, but I can look to the cross and say, there I am. There I have peace. There I have assurance. Because Jesus Christ became a curse for me so that I could have all the blessings of God, faith, hope, love, forgiveness, joy, eternal life with God, all by grace, all by mercy. It is God's promise that sustains our relationship with him, not your performance. That's the gospel. God's promise sustains us, which is great, because we can't perform well enough, right? Take even your best day. You still failed, right? I still fail on my best day. It wasn't like God said, okay, finally, finally, RD, that day, February 8th, 2007, you killed it that day. I died for you that day. That was the day, right? You were awesome that day. No, God says, at your worst day, I loved you. At your very worst, I came to you. And I said, you don't have to walk through the pieces. I'll walk through them for you. I'll walk through them for you. And that's the nature of the gospel. Jesus Christ became a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham could come to us. And if it's not for Jesus Christ, we don't have access to that. We are still cut off from God. Because Jesus Christ was cut off for us, we now have access vertically to God. And horizontally, we're reconciled Jew and Gentile, which is amazing. It's amazing last scripture here that I want to read is from the book of Hebrews, which is also unpacking this, this passage. And it's, it's really going to talk about the hope we have in the gospel, the anchor that we have in the gospel. Um, and it's really the writer of Hebrews unpacking the life of Abram. Verse 13 through 20 of Hebrews 6 will be on the screen. The writer writes this, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath, the oath he makes to Abram. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, which is his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus Christ, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying here? The writer of Hebrews is saying is that not only is the cross of Christ grace in your life, it's your anchor. It's how you can know that God is always for you. So no matter what's happening in your life, you can have something in your life that is firm and secure and unchanging. That God's unchanging purpose, which was to save humanity, that through the oath that God made through Jesus Christ, you and I never have to doubt how he feels about us. We never, we never, ever have to doubt that. And the anchor metaphor is just, it's, it's a great, it's a great metaphor. If you've been, um, you've been fishing before, been on a boat, you know that you need an anchor, right? Because if you don't have an anchor, then what's the boat going to do? It's going to go to land or it's going to go out to sea, and you need the anchor to go down really deep. And so when I grew up in Mobile Bay in Alabama, um, we would go fishing all the time, and we'd make sure that we had an anchor because Mobile Bay is situated in the Gulf of uh, Mobile Bay there. And so it's between these bodies of land, which means that you can get these winds really, really fast, really quickly, and it can be, it can be pretty intense sometimes. And so we'd have an anchor, and we had these great fishing spots, and you know, so we'd go there. And, but sometimes, the you know, next thing you know, there can be the storm that comes on the water. They can come really fast. And so we would make sure that the anchor we had, we'd get to the right place and we knew where there would be rocks or the anchor would go down and get just firmly secure into the ground. So that even when there was wind or another boat went by and it had all this wake, you know, you're just shaking in this small little dinghy boat that we have. We're like, no, we are, we are anchored in. We're good. We are good. <laughs> all right, the writer of Hebrews is saying that all of us need an anchor in our life, all of us need an anchor that goes beneath the waves that goes down deep into the heart of all things. Because if you don't have that, your boat will capsize, and really you'll drown. You'll drown. And the nature of the Gospel is that it is the only anchor that can hold together everything in your life and not crush you, and not kill you. That if you look to Jesus Christ as your true anchor, He will hold you fast. Nothing else will. Nothing else will hold you like he holds you. Everything else will hold on to you for a moment and take everything from you and then leave you worse off than you were before, right? These are the anchors in our life. So, I, I mean, I, even if you're saying I'm a Christian, I, I, the anchor of my life is Jesus Christ. You know what? I believe that, yes, the anchor of my life is Jesus Christ, but there are times in my life where there are very different functional anchors in my life. There are different things I look to and say, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus, but that's my real anchor, you know, I went through a season in my life where, you know, just girls, they were my anchor. They were my anchor. You know, I just wanted to be in a relationship. All my friends were, like, having girlfriends in fifth grade, which is basically impossible. They go to the mall and walk around. It was stupid, and, you know, but still, I wanted to do it because <laughs> I was lonely and, you know, all these things. I, like, I just want to go to the mall and walk around, which now, thank you, Lord, I didn't ever do that because, <sighs> thank you. Anyway, anyway, neither here nor there. And so that was just a season in my life where high school and, and college, where I was a Christian, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm going to youth group, I'm doing all these things, and yet functionally to me, what I really was looking for as the anchor for my life was someone that loved me personally and had affection for me deeply as a human being. And I was having great days when they were showering me with affection, and you know what, I was having terrible days when they weren't. Because the anchor of a person can get just beneath the top of the water right? And people are often the easiest things that we look to to be our anchors. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And so we look to them. But when you look to a person for what only God can give you, people will let you down. And I was on this roller coaster for about eight years of my life with different relationships. And I was looking at these women and saying, why aren't you completing me? Why aren't you helping me be better? Why am I mostly miserable? Why can I ever get get to just this joy enough? Why can I ever get it? Because the anchor in a person, it'll just crash when the storm comes because it's not down deep. You've got to have an anchor in your life that is so deep that no matter what happens, you're going to be secure, right? We have all these anchors. You can look to your resume as your anchor. I am awesome because I have a 4.0. That makes me, look how long my resume is, look how great my resume is, and that's your anchor. But what happens if your resume doesn't impress anyone that you apply to a job with? What happens if your anchor no one cares about? Well, then you're crushed. Right? Money is a terrible anchor. Sex is a terrible anchor. Your kids are a terrible anchor. Doesn't mean your kids aren't great. I'm sure they are. But if you look to them to be your anchor, you will crush them, and you will crush yourself. And yet the enemy is always saying, no, this is not bad, don't you feel good? Doesn't this feel great? And part of us says it does feel great. (laughs) But it's an anchor that's gonna go away when the storm comes, and it always comes. God graciously brings the storms to show us our counterfeit anchors from our true anchor. You know, when you get down deep enough, even when it's a crazy storm, when you get down deep enough, How peaceful is the water filled with peace? You know when you get above the clouds, when you're climbing out of a storm, do you see the sun? Isn't it amazing? The sun's always been there. We were flying the other day with my girls and I was sitting next to Camille and she's looking out the window and she's like, Daddy, the sun, the sun's asleep. I was like, no, no, the sun's not asleep. You're about to see it you know, but you're in these, it's so dark. She's like, you know, the moon's awake when it's night. The sun's awake when it's daytime. I was like, no, no, just wait. You're going to see the sun. It's going to be amazing. It's actually so cool. I can't wait to see. And so we're climbing, climbing, climbing up and actually we're climbing for a while and I'm starting to get nervous. Like actually, where is the sun? Where? It's just like, I've never not seen it. This is making me a little nervous here. And so we're waiting and she's like, where's the sun? You know, I'm just freaking out. I'm like, it's coming. Calm down. And, I had a situation on the plane, and so I'm like, Where is it? And so you can tell eventually, though, the clouds get lighter and lighter and lighter. And all of a sudden, the plane shoots through the clouds, and there's the sun in all of its glory. And she said, Daddy, there's the sun. She goes, Look, it's there. Look at the sun. I was like, The sun's always there. We just have to get the perspective to see it, we have to trust that it's there, even through the clouds. The only anchor in your life that will not devastate you, that will not eat you alive, that will not rob you of joy is Jesus Christ. And it's the the only one. You can't look to money. You can't look to a person. You can't look to your job. You can't look to how awesome your house is, how great your kids are, how in control of your life is. You can't look to any of that. A storm will come and blow it all away. The only thing that you can never lose in your life is salvation by grace through Jesus Christ. And he gives that to you. an anchor deep within your soul, firm and secure. You can't even look to another religion for that. And I spent a couple years looking at all the religions. And here's what they basically say. You walk through the pieces. You take the oath. You climb the mountain. If you climb it well enough, and if you hit all the steps, and if you pray enough, and if you love enough, and if you serve enough, and you do all these things, enough, 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 enough. Then maybe when you see God, he or she will accept you. Jesus Christ says, forget all that nonsense. I came down the mountain. I took the oath for you. I walked through the pieces for you so you can rest. You can be secure. You don't have to wonder, do I love you, right? When Abram is like, Lord, how can I know that you love me? He says, let me take you by the hand and show you the stars. When you and I wonder, God, how can I know that you love me? He takes us by the hand and he says, look at my scars. Look at the cross. Though, Though all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Jesus Christ an anchor for your life? Is he the anchor of your life? Is he functionally what you look to and say, I feel safe and secure in him? I pray that he would be. I pray you repent, come back to him. He always wants you to. You cannot out sin his grace. It is impossible. All of our sins die at the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ says it is finished. That's a promise kept. It's a promise kept, because God always keeps his promises. So the nature of faith, oh, it's messy. Embrace it. If you're in a messy place, you're probably a Christian. If your life is clean and cut and religious, you're maybe not. It's messy. It's real. Embrace it. Embrace it. The nature of the covenant is it's costly. It costs God everything. But he was happy to do it. And the nature of the gospel is it's our anchor. It's all that we have. It's all that we need. And so if you're afraid, remember what God says to Abram. Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your anchor. And your reward is very, very great. It's me. It's me. Let's pray. Our Father, what a very good gospel we have. What a very good Father we have in you. I'm thankful that Genesis 15 Genesis 5, Leviticus 20, whatever, it all screams grace. We cannot go to a passage of the Bible that doesn't say grace, grace, grace. It is who you are, Lord. It's your character. You love us with an unconditional love. I pray we would be a church that lives that out. I pray we would be a people that through our doubts and our questions, we still say, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. He will never let me down. He will never leave me or abandon me. Because Jesus Christ hung abandoned on a cross. We can know we'll never be abandoned. I thank you, Lord, for the anchor of Jesus Christ, that he goes down beneath the waves, into the foundation and sticks. And if we are in him, no matter what may come, we will live. Father, remove all the other anchors from our hearts, from our life. Detox us from all of our sin. We're thankful that you love to welcome us back home, all of us who are prodigal, again and again and again. Your grace is unending. Your love is unending. Your kingdom has plenty more room. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, that's what you said. Amen.